0: on the record with Gavin Riley brought to you by PwC
1: on news talk
0: uh, we're going to talk about one of the more remarkable Irish lives lost in the war the life of an economist a barrister a poet a writer an mp in westminster and a lot more besides but he's also arguably one of the most commemorated and one of the most forgotten Irish figures of the Great World War. Uh, his name is Tom Kettle, uh, one of the more remarkable Irish lives lost, uh, one of the leading Irish nationalist voices of his day, uh, whose decision to enlist in the war caused a lot of surprise and as we'll hear today, uh, his death had some surprising impacts at home. And of course, is a story that only uh, Donald Fowler could bring to us this Sunday lunchtime. Donald, great to see you as ever. Uh, November the 11th each year, Seems to bring about the same debates every year, doesn't it?
1: The 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. And it's always a week that brings about a lot of talk about memory and the First World War. And it seems in our lifetime, the same discussions every year. Mm. So this week, you know, it was the actor Paul Meskel not wearing a poppy on the Graham Norton show couch the unending column inches on James McLean. You know, it's when James moves from the sports pages to the front pages of the paper. Uh, And Pierce Morgan, an unlikely defender, who insisted footballers shouldn't be compelled to wear symbols about any political or social issue if they don't want to. Nobody should. Well, let's see if he thinks the
0: same when the World Cup gets going in the (laughs) fortnight. I'm sure he'll have some thoughts there.
1: (laughs) And, you know, there's also in this country uh, an increasing understanding of the complexities of the war and amazing things. You know, Michelle O'Neill of Sinn Féin attending a commemoration in Dublin Last year, for example, with members of the the British Legion. So, mm. November the eleventh. It's now much more about the contemporary world than it is a historic event. Be that the culture wars in Britain, or, or be that a peace process in Ireland. World War One is about the here and now in a big way. Yeah. Um, Tom Kettle's life, the,
0: the life that we're going to be talking about today, the life and death. Uh, it, it's extraordinary because it's arguable that he might have actually been the most famous Irishman in the trenches.
1: Absolutely. And you listed off six or seven things in that introduction. You know, barrister, economist. There, there were there were more than another half dozen things we could have put into the mix. And I think the thing with World War one it's so vast, you know, in terms of scale, the lives lost. We can get lost in that. And I think many people listening to this, you know, will have a, a branch on their family tree my great-grandfather, Thomas Howard, was in the Royal Dublin Fusiliers. Uh, he survived the war, unlike one of his own siblings. But you know, many people listening to this, far more people listening to this slot today will have some family connection to the First World War than they would to the Irish Revolution. But but Tom Kettle's a really weird story because it's difficult to imagine someone more commemorated in some ways and more forgotten than others. I mean, mm. if you find yourself over there uh, in the corridors of power at Westminster... If you ever draw the, the, the short straw and uh, reporting on British politics <laughs> instead of Irish ones, there's a panel uh, like that
0: happens a lot these days, but sorry, <laughs>
1: do go on. It's the same thing now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But there's a panel at the House of Commons that, that lists the names of MPs, former and serving, who died in the First World War. And you know, surprisingly, for people who are who are willing to send people to war, they weren't willing to fight And There's only three names on that panel. Okay. But one of them is Tom Kettle. And on my way here today, I walked by a a, a lovely bust of them in St. Stephen's Green Park. Uh, not far from where he went to college. He was a contemporary of James Joyce. So just because there's a couple of monuments, you know, in a park in Dublin or in the corridors of Westminster strange as it may sound that doesn't necessarily mean that you're you're remembered yeah. and Tom Kettle was once a very famous name but even he knew he had a sense of this you know that history at home might quicker recall those who died in O'Connell Street than in a mm. trench in France and that was proven to be true uh, He
0: is somebody that the President though in more recent times has centred in one of the speeches that he gave in Westminster
1: Yeah we hear so much about when, when Queen Elizabeth II came to Ireland we forget that actually it was after that that the Irish President went on the first state visit to yes, Britain yeah. in 2014 uh, and when he gave that speech in Westminster Michael D a typically brilliant speech he only does brilliant speeches Uh, he evoked Tom Kettle's name four times Mm. in the House of Commons which was incredible and you know here was an Irish patriot a British soldier someone with a keen sense of European identity so who is he well he's born in 1880, son of a Parnellite, you know, like his friend okay. Joyce, brilliant all-rounder as a young man, excels at everything in school, every sport known to man from cycling to cricket and enters University College Dublin at a really defining time in that university's history. You know, where you walk down the corridor and you might pass James Joyce, you might pass Francis Sheehy Skeffington, <laughs> Oliver Gogarty, everyone was there and he was a man in his 20s uh, when he came to national prominence as a home rule MP. It's kind of weird, you that's, know, a very young very man. striking, very A very young man yeah. in a very ageing party, which was, you know, at death's door. Yeah. But in his 20s, he's a member of parliament in Westminster. And, and,
0: and let it not be masked, because, of course, so many of the people who got elected in 1918 were, were young men and young women as well. But that it's very striking that you would get sent over a, as a young MP in your 20s when your job there is to sort of dismantle the parliament you're going to and you're looking for homebrew. That, that in yeah. itself is very striking of the time. Um, instead, though, he, he tries to walk this sort of different path in life and then he goes back to university, or at least he tries to go back Yeah, to he focuses
1: on an academic life. He, he makes for UCD and he's a professor of economics. He's a great line there, actually. I think you know, everyone should remember this line, especially if you're in the business of economics, on the nature of the state. He says, the state is you and me and the man around the corner. And that's what it is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's simple. That's a really but nice yeah. summary. It's simple but you true. Often can,
0: sorry, not, not to, to go on too much of a tangent, but so often in, in my line of work in Ireland, work, you get discussions about, oh, somebody is suing the state or the state should do this or it feels like the state is conspiring against us. Sometimes it does feel like that, but the state is the people. Yeah, it is yeah. you and me and the man it's around the, the corner. It's the plain
1: people of Ireland. It's the taxpayer. You know, the state is you and me and the man around the corner. And it's simple but true, but it, c- it connects the big picture in everyday life. But I think, th- you know, Catley wanted to be a professor of economics uh, and a Poet and UCD, he's kind of pulled back into politics when the Home Rule crisis hits, and that's an extraordinary moment. I mean, we should always remember the gun is brought into Irish politics by by Edward Carson, you know. by UVF. the UVF <laughs> they're the first ones who take up arms, and the nationalists kind of have to have to respond. And Pierce has this great line. He says the only thing more ridiculous than an Ulster Unionist holding a rifle is an Irish nationalist without one. And someone like Tom Kettle, you find yourself pulled back, if you will, from the from the desk of an academic to the life of politics. So he's involved in the Irish Volunteers. And really what he wants to do is try and keep the Volunteers under the control of, you know, his gang, the moderates, the the Redmondites, the parliamentary party. Um,
0: He's pulled then into the Great War, the First World War, in this very unique way, because he's actually in Belgium. Uh, yeah. for, for other reasons, than, and he sees what it all looks like.
1: The UVF are brilliant at landing arms, and when they do that in the in the in the summer of of, of uh, I think nineteen thirteen, they 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 land them at Larne, which is just off the coast in Ulster. Yeah, and they land the latest in the weapons of war, you know, brilliant machine guns and everything else. So. You have in Ulster young loyalists kind of parading machine guns through the streets and the Irish volunteers in Dublin are saying well if they're arming themselves we have to do it. Yeah. And Tom Kettle you know, former MP big high profile mm. uh, young man is sent off to Belgium to try and get weapons and look Europe is awash with arms dealers (laughs) in 1914. There's chaos from one end of Europe to the other. Everyone thinks their numbers are going to come up in the the political lottery. Mm. Uh, So there's arms dealers everywhere. But he's in Belgium, 1914. He sees the German invasion of that country and he's absolutely horrified by it. And inside his own mind, you know, things start moving in different directions and he feels, well, okay, maybe, rather than taking advantage of the chaos of this war, maybe Ireland has some role in this war maybe we need to fight in it and similarly John Redmond comes to the same conclusion and I think his argument is you know that Ireland's reward if Ireland does her bit in the war effort the reward might be you know home rule what's ludicrous about this is up in Ulster Carson is telling people fighting the war to stop home rule. <laughs> yes, <laughs> spill your yeah, blood yeah. in France and yeah. Belgium, and they won't impose yeah. home rule on us. But in the south, you know, Redmond, Kettle, and others are are, are are sending a different message. And Redmond tells people the duty of the manhood of Ireland is twofold. It is a duty at all costs to defend the shores of Ireland against foreign invasion. But it is a duty more than that of taking care that Irish valor proves itself on the field of war. In other words, we can't just st- sit back and watch this happen in France and Belgium. We have to go and play an active part in it.
0: You can sort of understand this dueling uh, idea about whether Ireland is is going to win its own independence by by taking part in the war because in one sense you you can be like Carson and the others and you can say that well if Ireland you know uh, shows its place as one of the home nations as part of the United Kingdom then yeah. it can really prove that it's British once and for all and then the others being like well if Ireland takes its place among the nations by standing alongside Britain and everyone else then you've sort of proven that you are worthy of being treated as an independent entity it's kind of fascinating you can make both cases
1: at the same time yeah that idea of a war for civilization. you know you're on the side of civilization or barbarism Uh,
0: when the movement splits and Kettle unsurprisingly goes at Redmond as you've kind of outlined the reasons for it there but initially some in Dublin see him as a bit of a coward because it looks like that he's trying to dodge the trenches
1: yeah he wants to go to the front and they they refuse to send him there so he, he cuts this unusual figure in Dublin he's walking around in a fine uniform you know recruiting for the war and there are all these cries of cowardice you know someone who's willing to send someone else's to a foreign trench but won't go there himself yeah. but in truth he wants to you know and, and there's a lot of evidence that at this time he's really struggling with all of this he's drinking very heavily he feels the pressure uh, someone who sees him walk into a public meeting he's on the same platform as as Pierce recalled his arrival, he braved us in the uniform of a British officer, marched up to the hall so firmly that we almost seemed to hear the clatter of his sword. <laughs> but it was obvious that he had his fill of Irish whiskey in order that he might defy more confidently the small group of Sinn Feiners in the room. But eventually, early 1916, he gets his wish. They call him up to France, and this, you know, this barrister, this economist, this your former MP finds himself in France with the Royal Dublin Fusiliers. Uh,
0: when he gets there, then he does describe, and thankfully these stories do survive to these days, that he does describe the total hell. And he describes it in a way that maybe few others get to do.
1: Brilliant. I mean, his description of the war is, there's so much romanticism around the First World War mm-hmm. uh, every, every, every November. The way he describes it is better than anyone. The scourge of war is more terrible, more apocalyptic in its horror than even the most active imagination could picture. When the time comes to write down a plain record of it, its wounds and weariness flesh stabbing bone pulverising lunacies rats and lice and maggots and all the crawling festament of battlefields two landmarks in human progress will be reached the world will for the first time understand the nobility of soldiers beyond all phrase and it will understand also the foulness beyond all phrase of those who compel them into war this is wow. you know a million times worse in other words than anyone can imagine it behind yeah. the desk in London
0: which is fascinating because sometimes you hear so much about like Wilfred Owen and Siegfried Sassoon in the way that they in a way that they're, they're trying to talk talk about how horrible it is but they still end up you know offering yeah. some kind of nobility to it but the, his is just the romance no, and the horror
1: like, Kettle e- is just a horror in everything the
0: horror. about this is crap uh, and there's no way to dress it up um, he meets his end there uh, months after the events in Ireland which in his own way he knew were going to change the course of national history anyway
1: Yeah he dies 36 years of age uh, during the Somme offence of September 1916 and his widow then at home becomes a great campaigner for World War 1 veterans and it's so sad to think about those people like they really struggled you know, to fit back into a, a very different society but the bus that I walked by on the way here I mean it's it's worth seeing it, it's finished in 1921 and it's unveiled then in 1937 I mean doesn't that sound Everything wow. about the strange attitude we had to the war. This idea
0: that because, because he fought for for Britain, albeit for Ireland's cause, but he fought for yeah, Britain, so he wasn't worth commemorating. Not entirely sure how
1: to how to touch him, but it's worth saying tomorrow, Richmond Barracks in Chico, Tom Burke uh, from the Royal Dublin Fusiliers Association is giving a great lecture on commemoration and, and and the First World War in Ireland. at Seven o'clock in in, in Richmond Barracks. Mm. That'll be lovely. And yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 important that the magnitude of the war is so vast but when you pull these individual stories there's just so so much incredible tale within it uh,
0: where exactly in the green is that bust of tom so kettle so in the
1: in the center of the park you have yeah. everyone knows markovic is there the great bust of markovic yes. on one side yeah. but on another side you have you have tom kettle okay so he's a, it's,
0: another one of the, the of the four that are all kind of facing yeah, each other yeah it's a
1: beautiful place a great great quiet place of reflection lovely on a on a, on a sunday with a coffee
0: <laughs> <laughs> stuff. Dublin can be heaven with a coffee at 11 as a stroll <laughs> green indeed uh, Donald Fallon is the author of the Come Here to be books of Henrietta Street from 10 Minutes Suburbia and now of Three Castles Burning A History of Dublin in 12 Streets available in all good bookshops now and possibly a very good idea for a certain festival being celebrated seven weeks from today On the Record with Gavin Riley Sunday morning at 11 Brought to you by PwC Great Minds Think Unalike Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation on News Talk.